Welcome to Best Bets, the Sandringham Research School podcast. This podcast aims to provide you with the latest education research and insights about how evidence can be used to benefit students in your school. Although education research can never tell us exactly what to do within the classroom, it can provide us with best bets, tried and tested approaches that the evidence suggests may lead to promising outcomes. In each episode, we will draw upon the expertise of a researcher or teacher with a particular expertise in the area we're looking at. And a little bit about us. Sandringham School is a Hertfordshire secondary school and has been designated as a research school by the Education Endowment Foundation. You can follow us on Twitter at Sand Research. Welcome to episode four of Best Bets, which features Mary Reader, Senior Researcher at the Education Policy Institute. Mary joined the Education Policy Institute in January 2020. She holds a first-class degree in philosophy, politics and economics from the University of Oxford and a Master's of Public Administration in Public and Social Policy from the LSE. Prior to joining the EPI, Mary worked in Parliament for an MP and as a research assistant at the Institute for Public Policy Research, where she worked primarily on health and care policy. Alongside her work at the EPI, Mary is a research officer at the Centre for Analysis of Social Exclusion at LSE, where her research focuses on early childhood, social security and the welfare state. Mary, thanks so much for joining us for this episode of Best Bet. You're very welcome. It's really great to be here. Oh, super. Okay, so you were the author um, of the recent Education in England Annual Report 2020. Uh, what were the main headlines of the report? Yeah, so in the report, we report on what's happened to the disadvantage gap over the last decade in England. And what we find this year, really interestingly, is that the disadvantage gap has stopped closing, unfortunately, for the first time over this period. So uh, we look at the disadvantage gap. So the average difference uh, in the attainment between uh, disadvantaged pupils who are eligible for free school meals uh, and their peers across this period um, in the early years, in primary school and in secondary school. And what we find is that by the time they sit their GCSEs, disadvantaged pupils are 18.1 months behind in terms of learning and development. Um, and quite sadly, that gap is unchanged in the last five years. Um, and so on that basis, we project that uh, while well, last year we were able to say that it would take 560 years to close the disadvantage gap, which was already pretty depressing. Unfortunately, this year, the data shows that the, the gap isn't going to close on this trajectory um, for the foreseeable future. Um, so, yeah, we think really worrying trends and in particular also in the latest year, the gap has widened at primary school. Um, which we are concerned could be a real canary in the mine in terms of what it's telling us about what's happening to educational inequality. Uh, thank you for summarising that. Certainly very uh, stark and, and in many ways depressing uh, findings. So in relation to the, um, the primary gap widening, um, and as you described it, the canary in the coal mine, I assume you, you know, are, are building in that, sort of extrapolating that going forward when those children then start secondary and what will happen to that gap 
in future years yeah exactly I think it's it's worrying in primary for two reasons first as you say because that cohort of children will feed into future cohorts of secondary school pupils um but also because uh typically secondary schools face um wider challenges in terms of socioeconomic disadvantage um and so it's usually in secondary school that the, the gaps start if there's a problem going on it starts to show up in secondary a bit quicker so the fact that it's also hitting primary we think is quite worrying thank you mary uh that's um a really helpful um summary of the of the position um in reading the report um uh there was a category of students obviously you know you have just been describing the disadvantage gap there's a category of students described as persistently disadvantaged um how is this group defined and how do the performance of students in the persistently disadvantaged group compare to their peers yeah so when we look at persistent disadvantage we're referring to a group of pupils who are poor or disadvantaged for long trajectories of their school life um so in particular we define it as any people who's been eligible for free school meals for 80 percent or more of their time at school um and what we find which is perhaps unsurprising is that this group of pupils who have a really high persistence of poverty have a bigger gap than the disadvantaged group as a whole. So for this group, the gap is 22 months at the end of GCSE. So remember the disadvantaged gap was 18 months. Um, and I think one of the most interesting findings in our report was about how outcomes for these pupils have changed over time. And mm -hmm. what we saw was that in the last, since 2014, the gap has actually increased for this persistent disadvantage group in every single year, apart from the latest one. Um, so what we find is that this is likely to be driving the stagnation and even the widening of the disadvantage gap nationally, because outcomes for these really persistently poor peoples aren't improving. In fact, they're worsening. Mm, that's, I think that will... Um be really interesting to teachers and to schools because mm. I suppose we might look at um, students through the lens obviously of those in receipt of the pupil premium and we might be considering in our minds for example you know six years um, rather than thinking about perhaps 100% of a student's um, you know lifetime in school or as you said 80% for example mm -hmm. and perhaps more of a nuanced understanding might um, help um you know identify and and target perhaps more appropriately Definitely. yeah um so just digging into some of the other findings um of the reports um what did uh what did you identify about students uh from other groups such as different ethnic backgrounds or those with um special educational needs or disabilities and and pupils in care yeah so every year we look at the gap by ethnic background and in this we tend mm -hmm. to measure um, differences between attainment in different ethnic groups relative to the white British uh, population who are the majority in England. Um, mm -hmm. We find, uh, which is builds on uh, already well-documented evidence, that there's a lot of variation in attainment by ethnicity. So on one hand you've got lots of people groups uh, that tend to do worse on average than the white British groups. So, um, mm -hmm. for example, Gypsy Roma pupils in particular, their gap at GCSE is nearly three years. Uh, 
really quite mm. shocking compared to even the disadvantage gap, which is already very big. Um, mm -hmm. And then, for example, Black Caribbean children, their gap is around 11 months relative to white British children. And then on the mm -hmm. other hand, you have a few ethnic groups that tend to do, on average, a bit better than white British, uh, such as Chinese and Indian pupils. Though, of course, these mm -hmm. remain quite small percentages of the population as a whole. Um, mm -hmm. And yeah, I think so this year also we put together a time series. So we looked, we wanted to know how has this changed over the last decade? And something that was yeah. really striking was what's happened to black pupils in particular. Um, so for black Caribbean pupils, yeah. their gap has widened by 68% in since 2011 and by 77% for any other black background. Um, so we were quite overwhelmed at like the scale of that and how, um, yeah, how much change there's been in the last decade. Uh, and then we also look at uh, pupils with English as an additional language. Um, so the evidence mm -hmm. says that uh, EAL pupils are particularly disadvantaged if they join the state school system in England quite late. For example, in secondary, mm -hmm. you might have them joining in uh, year 10 or 11, and then they tend to face quite a lot of challenges. Mm -hmm. So for them, for example, the gap is about 21 months at GCSE, and that has also widened slightly since uh, 2011. Yeah, yeah, thank you. Um, I, I know the report obviously um, did an amazing job in terms of identifying these gaps and looking at this time series to see how that has changed over time. And, and I appreciate completely that um, you're not necessarily at liberty to explain the whys and, and the causal factors of this, but um, have uh, you and your colleagues um, got any kind of running hypotheses about some of the factors that might be, if we take, for example, different ethnic groups, some of the widening of those gaps, or if we take the disadvantage gap and the fact that that improvement has been unchanged, um, and not closed mm. in the last year. Um, have you any so I think comments this is on that? Really fascinating, and it's it's something that we're really keen to learn more about and do more research on. Um, and as I'm sure you and lots of your listeners will be aware, getting causal evidence on what exactly is causing this is quite difficult methodologically. But we do have some, I guess, mm -hmm. in the in the philosophy of best bets, we have some kind of indicative um, <laughs> trends that might be feeding into this. So, I mean, obviously, the last decade has mm -hmm. been uh, a squeeze on per pupil school funding, and we know that, that will disproportionately mm -hmm. affect the most disadvantaged. Um, in relation to mm -hmm. ethnicity, we've also seen changes in funding. For example, the there was an ethnic minority achievement grant, uh, which was I think in 1999, mm -hmm. uh, which and the ring fence on that specific funding pot for ethnic minority students uh, to close those gaps was um, disbanded in 2011. We have seen the kind of erosion of mm -hmm. a few targeted uh, pots of support. Um, but I think also what our persistent poverty analysis shows is that wider trends in poverty and deprivation do have an impact. And for example, we find that the percentage of disadvantaged pupils who are persistently disadvantaged has been rising over the mm -hmm. last three years. So it's not just that the outcomes yeah. are getting worse for that group, but that poverty is rising. So um, obviously that requires quite a, a host of social policies to try and 
tackle poverty um, at its roots and kind of out of school drivers in order to really tackle the social determinants of education as well as what's going on in schools. Absolutely. Thank you. And I suppose in terms of, and I'm, you know, um, there'll be a whole host of research about the, the drivers of poverty, but that would perhaps be, um, you know, in work poverty, as well as um, families that, you know, where there isn't employment, for example, just reflecting perhaps wider trends, the labour market, stagnation of wages, etc. There, there will be a whole host of associated factors with exactly. aligned with that. Mm. Um, thank you. Um, so I suppose, yeah, coming back to uh, the, the name of the podcast, Best Bets, um, I suppose what we try to do is to um, provide teachers and school leaders with best bets from the evidence base in relation to practice in schools. Um, and I, I suppose this is hard once more because this it wasn't necessarily the purpose of, of your research. But given the findings in your report, what would you recommend that schools pay particular attention to, given what you found in relation to um, the uh, attainment gap in the UK? I think there are lots of things that schools uh, can and do do uh, on a regular basis. I think a slight mm -hmm. caution with this is that um, I think schools and teachers regularly perform um, amazing jobs in terms of like uh what they do for disadvantaged pupils but they can't do everything and i think it's important that they're not yeah. seen the the responsibility isn't put on their shoulders to work miracles with a really hard uh, picture yeah. as i've described before but within that i think there are mm -hmm. things that schools and school leaders can do um so i think uh making sure that uh the specifically the targeted funding that is there for disadvantaged pupils is spent in a really efficient way uh, in line with the evidence base about how to improve their outcomes. Um, so obviously the EEF mm -hmm. have their pupil premium guide um, and I think the evidence that they summarise in that is really helpful. In particular, they emphasise, for example, the power of uh, investing in high quality teaching and uh, CPD mm -hmm. and they, they show how um, that disproportionately benefits disadvantaged pupils, but it's also in some senses a universal thing that will apply across the board. And that's a really positive thing for social cohesion and um, in schools to prevent sort yes. of stigmatised targeted programmes. But having said that, I think there's also mm -hmm. uh, definitely uh, an important role for targeted academic support for those who are falling behind. Um, and for example, the EEF yeah. identify things like teaching assistants and uh, structured one-to-one -one or small group sessions as being potentially helpful. Um, and then yeah. I think something at EPI we're very uh, keen to emphasize is the important of, importance of wider strategies um, that tackle things like attendance, yeah. um, behavior, social, social and emotional support. Um, something that's come to the fore with Marcus mm -hmm. Rashford's campaign has been, for example, the emphasis on breakfast clubs and uh, tackling food poverty in schools. And I think that really powerfully shows how what a kind of community role schools play. And, and it's when they play that role that they can most effectively tackle the disadvantages and vulnerabilities that we see. Um, and I guess COVID has brought mm -hmm. that to the fore, especially in terms of things like digital exclusion and the role that schools can play in, uh, for example, trying to help um, provide enough digital equipment 
for disadvantaged pupils and mm-hmm. make sure that their blended learning package or whatever their offer is is inclusive of disadvantaged pupils who the data show are less likely to be attending school currently. Sure, thank you. That's um, that's really really helpful, and I think um, certainly the um, the EES pupil premium guide that you referred to and the the way in which they sort of couch provision in terms of the you know teaching targeted ang- academic support and wider strategies I think is a really um, valuable framework um, just following up on that because I think you've suggested some really um, important strategies and say for example under the wider strategies um, attendance being mm-hmm. absolutely critical um, I uh, just for listeners I was lucky enough to hear Mary um uh, lead a presentation recently on um, on this report and she was kind of drawing out some themes and actually one thing um, did strike me um, from something you said then which I'll just mention now which was around how sometimes when students attend school they can have differential experiences um, from perhaps their more advantaged peers and and one thing that um, I remember standing out to me was they might have differential experiences in terms of their sense of belonging to school and their sort of esteem in relation to school. Um, and so would you say that's quite important for um, disadvantaged pupils to feel that they are uh, a part of that community that you were just referring to with some of those strategies? Yeah, definitely. I think um, so. I recently read uh, Diane Ray's Miseducation and, and that's where that was kind of coming from of, uh, thinking about how uh, disadvantaged people's learner identities can be really impacted if if they're struggling uh, at home and if they're not given the resources at home that enable them to feel part of a community and, uh, and, and also relate to authority figures in a positive and supportive way. Um, you know, I think so long as we have children going into school who are hungry, uh, you know, for their first period of lessons, it, they're going to be struggle to focus mm-hmm. and concentrate and therefore also in relation to their peers in the classroom they're likely to notice the differences and the ways they stand out and how they don't feel like they belong um, and so I think mm-hmm. that's exactly where the kind of empowering nature of school can come in to try and bring bring those pupils into the fold and make them feel welcomed and like they belong but I think that's a really uphill battle yeah, something definitely sure. that needs to be focused on. Yeah, definitely. Uh, thank you. And actually, just as you're describing that, I'm being reminded of um, in an earlier episode, um, we interviewed Mark Rowland, who um, is a national mm-hmm. expert on pupil premium provision. And I remember him using uh, a phrase of um, it's the sort of thousand little moments that, that make it yeah. make a successful sort of education for some disadvantaged students. And that can be from you know asking them you know in lesson to you know uh, answer a question that can be sort of following up in the corridor sort of saying that was a great piece of work etc it's just those constant conversations to really engage students within their school day within lessons within the corridors around the mm-hmm. outside you know it could be phone calls home etc but really trying to build that sense that that, that child uh, belongs um, as you were saying and it, empowering them to believe that um, them and their families are are a part of definitely uh, and I think it's also about in. encouraging pupils to see where their strengths and their ob- abilities are and not having a kind of one size fits all approach where you know if you're not 
doing well in English and maths. Therefore, you don't feel like you're good at school and you feel like you're not going to succeed. I think about recognizing those kind mm -hmm. of multiple strengths that children can have and encouraging them to grow those. Yeah, absolutely. Well, um, Mary, I have to say, um, this has been an absolutely um, fascinating um, opportunity to talk to you. I think certainly I and I'm sure the listeners will have um, a really good sense of um, the disadvantage attainment gap in the UK now. Um, that that trajectory really uh, over the last um, 10 years and obviously the nuances around uh, students from uh, different ethnic backgrounds. And I think your recommendations for what schools should attend to in light of that data um, is really, really helpful. Um, if they wanted to download a copy um, of this report, can they yeah, get that? Yeah, they can the indeed. So I think um, probably the best way is to just if you search in Google um, uh, Education Policy Institute Annual Report 2020, that should come up. Um, and we've got a, a useful in, interactive infographic where you can look at how big the disadvantage gap is in your area, which is, it could also be helpful for your listeners. Oh, that's super. Well, thank you very much. And certainly in um, we'll publish the um, uh, we obviously publish the, the podcast episode and that's what people are listening to now. But just on our research school website, all the um, all the links that Mary's mentioned, um, you know, from the EEF and obviously from the EPI as well. We'll make sure those uh, links are in there so that listeners can follow up. Um, but uh, thank you so much for your time, Mary. It's been um, absolutely fascinating and I really do hope that um, should our listeners get the time that they are able to delve into that a little bit more and it will provide food for thought for those conversations back yeah. at school to help us really review the provision that we have um, for all of our students but particularly Not those. Thanks so much for having me it's been an absolute pleasure. Thank you for listening to episode four of Best Bets. To follow up on the ideas and references mentioned by Mary Reader in this episode, head over to our website, researchschool.org.uk forward slash Sandringham. If you enjoyed this episode, please do rate us and write a short review if you have time. Ratings and reviews allow others to see the podcast when they're browsing. Do also subscribe to the Best Bets podcast and you'll get the next episode automatically through your podcast app.